Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
hearts, Lord God. May we walk out of this place and change from pages to God. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to our minds, God. Help us to get into your word, Lord God. Anoint the pastor to anoint our ears, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 today, and we're going to close out our study in the book of Ephesians with this wonderful chapter, Ephesians 6. It is actually uh, broken into two sections, two parts with two different subjects, and we're going to focus on God's full armor today. Even though we'll deal with the entire chapter, I want to emphasize the full armor of God. You know, Paul in Ephesians 6.11 says this, Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You know, believe God wants us to be equipped to make a difference in this world and this, this life that we live for Him. And we need the armor of God, church. It's imperative that we have it. And God has made it available to each and every believer for us to appropriate for His purposes and his plans for our lives in this world. The hymn writer Isaac Watts penned these words, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? The answer of the writer expected is an obvious no. You know, sometimes today, church, we get the impression that becoming a Christian will be a bed full of roses thrown in the converse pathway all the way to heaven. Sometimes we're glad to bring men and women into church fellowship on their own rather than God's terms. We even try to lure them by promising them that Christianity will provide an easy answer to all of their problems and be an unfailing source of peace and happiness. But... You know, there's always a but. God calls His people to warfare. And it's not a picnic. Christian life is a battle. It's a struggle. He urges us in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, to endure hardness as a good soldier. And here we'll see today in Ephesians 6.10, as we just read, that we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You know, the closing verses of Ephesians 6 deal with the warfare of a believer. Actually, the passage divides at the end of verse 9, and the first eight verses are really a continuation of what we talked about last week in chapter 5. That is the discussion of you know personal relationships, wives, husbands, and then also ultimately children and parents in chapter 6, 1 through 4. And then also ultimately he talks about slaves and masters in chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. It's not possible to unify really these two parts in Ephesians 6. But then really it's, it's not really necessary. They address different things. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today with your people with like precious faith. Father, I as your servant am holy, wholly inadequate to communicate your word to your people. Father, we are looking into your wonderful word today. Speak to us, Lord. I ask for the anointing of your spirit to communicate your word to your people. 
Father, I ask for that same anointing to be upon every ear to hear and every heart to receive. Give us good ground today. Plant water and cause increase to come and ultimately bear the fruit in each of us that you so desire. Inspire us, instruct us, correct us, teach us, Lord, from your word today. Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Ephesians 6, what a wonderful and powerful passage in the New Testament that Paul had written. He was in obviously in prison when he wrote these words to encourage the body, the church, you and I today. And uh, what a powerful instruction. We're going to look at, I'm going to break it into two sections as the scripture indicates here. It is really two sections. Well, first we'll see Christian relationships and then ultimately we'll get into the full armor of God. But in chapter 6 verse 1, and actually be 1 through uh, nine altogether, but one through six, uh, one through four rather, we'll see Christian relationships between children and parents, and then ultimately servants and masters. And this is important foundational truth for us to get a hold of because it will set us up for the warfare uh, that is to come, that is a part of the Christian life, that that will set us up for victory. Amen. And here in chapter six, verse one, and, and of course we have ultimately. All of us were children at one time, and uh, many of us, if not most of us, are parents and have children, and there are varying degrees of, of stations in life. You know, we have a, a couple babies, a baby, a little child here today, one that's kind of on the way, <laughs> amen, and then uh, those that, uh, that have grown up. But... It's important for all of us to know and understand what God is actually saying here. We talked last week about wives and husbands, but here it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if our children were a little older, I'd have them all sitting in here and let them hear this because it's the Bible. Amen? And uh, at some point we'll do that, Lord willing. Amen? But it's good for us to know it as parents as well. It says here in verse 2, Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. That's amazing, isn't it? Children are told to obey their parents, not to be rebels, not to do their own thing, but to fall in line with their parents in, in, in obedience. You know, Christian life is that. It's just that. We learn how to serve and follow God in, in, in the proper context in the home. You know, the father is a type of Christ, and the mother is a type of the bride of Christ. And then you see the relationship between a husband and wife, and the children are to obey the parents. Amen? Isn't that what it says? Notice it didn't say just obey your fathers. It said parents. Amen? That's mother and father. And we're to honor them. That shows a respect. It shows a humility. It shows the right demeanor that we need to have in order to make it and be successful in life. We need to honor prayer. Notice the promise. We'll live long on the earth. What would be the, the exact opposite of that? If we didn't honor our parents, he might also just say, you're going to cut yourself short. Your time on earth. Isn't that amazing? So there is a promise there. Notice he, he mentions the promise and tells us what it is. We live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
or wrath, I believe the King James language is used, but bring them up in the discipline or nurture and admonition. Uh, the New American Standard is discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, don't ride your children, dads. Don't get on them and say, you've got to do, don't whip them. With, don't be a taskmaster. Come on now. Don't ride and push them and drive them and exasperate them and frustrate them. That's what Paul is saying here. But rather, encourage them, instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we need in our homes today parents. Somebody say amen. amen. We, we, we blame institutions like the school. Well, my kids are so bad because the school is teaching them wrong. Or the church isn't doing what it's supposed to do. How many know it begins at home? It begins at home between the mother, the father, and the child. We don't just have children. Anybody can do that, right? Come on. Oh, yeah. That's pretty easy. I mean, yeah. that's pretty easy, right? Guys, come on. Somebody say, that's fun. Uh huh. <laughs> but how you know to raise and to train them and teach them, that takes work and effort. Oh, yeah. And it takes both parents. And a cooperative child is a blessing to the parents. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Then we see the relation, Christian relation between servants and masters. What a controversial passage. Pastor Jerry, can you imagine, uh, Sister Robin, if Pastor Jerry was preaching down at that Episcopal church where George Washington was today and, and, and reading this verse right out of the Bible? What would that do? They might run me out of town on a rail, huh? Oh my Lord. Well, let's, let's read the Bible and see what it has to say. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ. Not only while being washed and in order to please them, but as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and to women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. Now, does the Bible itself condone slavery? Some would say by reading this passage, it, it tends to say, well, yeah, it does. But no, it really doesn't. But it addresses it in a way that's not pleasing to the natural man today. Certainly not. What is slave? Let me, let, me, let me explain this. In America, where we live, in our culture, particularly over the last few hundred years, and, and you know, this was written 2,000 years ago, okay? Slavery, and then you go back 3,000 years before that, slavery has always existed. It's not, listen to me, a black, white, or a racial thing. That's right. It is in America, hello. It's become that in America, but slavery is not a racial issue. If you read the book, there were slaves all throughout time, and God does not condone slavery, but it's a fact in a fallen world. Uh, we look back to the, uh, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the different empires that came along, certainly the Babylonians, and then later the Greeks and the Romans, all biblical empires, and even before those empires in, 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 in uh, Mesopotamia, there were slaves. Men enslaved other men. And they didn't have to be one nationality over another. Now we know on the in the world there are Asians, 
And there are many different kinds of Asians. There are blacks, different type of blacks. There are Caucasian people, and Indian people, uh, Malaysian people. There are all different types of races that God has created on earth. And they're all prone to enslaving one another or those who are their perceived enemies. Hello? You know, we look at the Bible, we see the uh, Joseph was kept as a slave in, in Israel, in Egypt, and we have men enslaving others. Some would indenture themselves to uh, others who would be their masters uh, for food, housing, protection. And this, this goes on and on. It doesn't, it's not, again, a racial issue. Uh, but what is the New Testament specifically addressing? What is Paul addressing here? He's addressing the demeanor, the attitude that a believer, whether a slave or, or free man, should have. And it's because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now we read the book of Philemon and he goes further into addressing a slave owner over how he should treat a slave. And, and, and that book is all about that. And you'll see that God wanted Philemon to let the slave go. Let him go free. Because God had a plan for his life. Now see, what we have to understand, and this is what takes faith, okay? We look at life from a Western perspective. And, and particularly as we live here in, in, in America, and we've been inundated with that. God is sovereign over his creation. That's a biblical concept we must understand as Christians. God is sovereign. He's in control of life itself. The station you find yourself in in life, the gifting or the intelligence level you happen to have or don't have, you know, God knows where you're at. He calls you where you are, where I am, okay? The thing we need to understand is He wants us to serve Him no matter where we are or where we're at in life. If you are born into a slavery, that's not because of God, it's because of sin. But He knows you're there, okay? Serve Him, is what He's telling us through Paul. Serve God. Don't fight your situation in the flesh. Don't, don't war against your master, that's what He's telling the slave. But rather, work with them. You may be able, by your lifestyle, to win them to Christ. That's your main purpose as a believer. Whether you're black, white, slave, or free, if you come to faith in Christ, your purpose is to win people to Him, to serve God. Because ultimately, no matter who you are in Christ, you're a new creation, you're going to rule and reign with Him for eternity. This life means nothing in terms of your station in life. Serve God. If God would, wants to move you out of that situation, He will. He's, we have untold testimony and stories of where God has elevated men and women to positions of great authority from the humblest and most difficult of backgrounds. God is able. Amen. Trust Him for that. Don't fight something you cannot overcome. You know, there's a, a mentality that's in the fallen race of man where you know, when, when one country would overcome another in battle, they would enslave. The Romans were very good at that. They would enslave... Whoever they conquered, they would serve them. And what happens in, in a sociological way is men become accustomed to that. In other words, you can enslave a man, and his children are born in, in slavery, and their children are born in slavery. They don't know how to be free. They become accustomed to being a, 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 in that situation. 
Very difficult for people to get out of that. How do they ultimately get out of that? You come to Christ. You allow Him to do His work in you. You know, he, he talks about slaves and how they need to represent the kingdom. But then he goes on, as we're going to read in just a moment, to, and he talks to the master, slave masters and how they ought to treat and, and deal with other human beings. Amen? How many believe we as Christians should love all men? We should treat all men with dignity and respect. Amen? I believe that. It's not just a good saying, but it's true. And uh, it says in verse 9, Masters, do the same thing to them. Stop threatening them. Sort of sounds like the same language used with the fathers and their children. You know, it's called abusing their authority. You know, don't threaten people. They're human beings. They're made in the image of God. Both of you have the same master, he says, right? In heaven, and with him there is no what? Partiality. No partiality. Does God love the slave master? Yep. Does God love the slave? Yep. Does he love one better than the other? Nope. Well, how'd they get in that? I can't answer that. How they get into the position there? I can't. How did you get where you are? I can't answer that. But you are where you are, and there is a way to elevate yourself. Come on now, it's to come to faith in your God, the one who created you, and begin to serve Him right where you're at. And I do believe He'll move you further up. Amen. I believe He'll move you along. He'll bless you. He'll. He'll, he'll, he'll help you, but sometimes we're in difficult positions in life. We're in difficult situations. But God has the right place for you to be, and He knows what He wants to extract from your life. And we're all ultimately slaves to Christ. Do you know that? We've been bought with a price, the very precious blood of the Lamb. We belong to Him. We, he owns us. Paul talks about that in his writings as well. He, he considers himself a bondservant to Christ. I'm a slave to Jesus. As I mentioned several times before, when we indenture ourselves to Him, when we allow ourselves to serve Him as slave, is His slave, He sets us free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. I'm a slave to Christ, but yet I'm free. Glory to God. You can't beat a deal like that. And here he is addressing that issue. Here he says to um, that we have the same master in heaven and there is no partiality. Now the second part of our message in God's full armor is actually we're going to talk about Christian warfare. We just talked about Christian relationships, children and parents, servants and masters. Here in Ephesians 6, now we're going to go to Christian warfare. In verse uh, number 10 is actually a transition verse. I'll call it that anyway before we get into the to the military stuff. He says in verse 10, finally. Now what what remember we're in the last book of Ephesians, last chapter of Ephesians here, amen. Chapter number six. And chapter one, two, three, four, as we've gone through our study over the last several weeks, uh, he gets to this place where he says, finally. Remember, this is one seamless letter. There were no chapters put in there. That that was put in so that you and I could go to a verse. And reference the letter that was written. This is the most important part of his letter. He says, finally, this is what I want to leave you with. This is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to know as a follower of Christ. This is important, so listen up. It's kind of a heads up there. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength, but in the Lord. Amen? Be strong in the Lord and the 
strength of his power. I believe King James is the power of his might, right? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, why would he give us a heads up like that? Be strong, Eleanor. Because you're going to deal with some things. Come on. <laughs> be strong in the Lord because it's going to be more than you can handle. You better be in the Lord. Amen. Be strong in the your own strength. No. In the power of His might. Yes, yeah. In His strength. Amen. He's, he's, he's telling us. He's letting us know that there is a warfare that's to be engaged in by the believer. Now you and I look around and you hear Pastor Jerry, particularly in Sunday school, talking about current events and what's happening in the geopolitical realm, in the world of society. And there is a spiritual battle being waged. He said, why do you bring that up? It ought to be brought up. It needs to be brought up. You need to know who is the one you're engaging in battle with. Why do you need armor and to put on the full armor of God? You're engaged in a warfare against a spiritual opponent that's very real and very present in this life. And the things that you and I are witnessing today are prophetically significant as it speaks to the time of the end. And we need to know who we're engaging and what is going on. And these verses that we're about to read are very key in whether we're successful or not in our spiritual warfare. There's a full armor. Can you imagine, Roger, a soldier going out to battle and engaging in an actual fight with an enemy? You know, wearing a set of pajamas, you know, a pair of flip-flops, you know, no helmet. That would be absolutely ridiculous, wouldn't it? Do you think they make helmets for a reason? Yes. Do you, do you wear boots for a reason? Do you have body armor for a reason? You know, often the church is like that well, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to fight the enemy and we got flip-flops on spiritually and we're just not even prepared. We have no rifle had been cleaned or no ammo in the magazine. Come on, man. And we're talking a big talk. All bark and no what? No bite. Come on, man. How many know you've heard people like that? Anybody see that YouTube video where that Young uh, young fellow was went up to that old man on the beach and was spouting off to the old man, calling him all kind of names. And he was doing all that, you know. Come on, man, hit me! Come on, man, hit me! What did that old man do? He just hauled off and decked him right there in the beach, knocked him cold in front of all his buddies, in front of all his friends. Old gray hair man just cold cocked him right there. Said, "Man, just be quiet." Sometimes we can be that way when we fight the enemy. We just talk talk a lot of talk, but we don't really have any anything to back it up with. Well, that old fella had something to back it up with. Amen. He didn't want none of that nonsense. And you know, he tried to talk him out of it. He said, look, son, you don't want to get involved with me. You don't want to mess with me. Why don't you just move along? Should have took his advice, huh? Amen. 
we go to verse 11 and 12, we see the enemy is identified here. He said, Be strong, Lord, the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice he didn't say part of it. You know, if you go out, you're only as strong as your weakest link. You know, and I believe Paul had in mind the Roman soldier of his day. He wasn't looking at uh, what we're dealing with today, but he, he was looking at the Roman soldier. Can you imagine going out on a battlefield and you don't have one of those pieces is missing? You're going to be in jeopardy. You're going to be in danger of being killed because they're all, all these parts of the body armor is meant to protect you uh, from getting harmed. And we'll see a couple things here in dealing with the armor, but first we, we identify the enemy. It says that we could to put on the whole armor that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Another translation is the schemes or the plans of the enemy. So that tells us something about the devil. He is the enemy. Who is the devil? Satan, Lucifer, uh, the dragon, the serpent of old. You put whatever name you want. It's a person who is the fallen cherub who opposes God and His church and His people. This is the enemy of the believer. This is your enemy. You know, really, in truth, God has no enemies. I mean, who, who could threaten Him? <laughs> He's God Almighty. Nobody. But you and I have enemies, and, and He invites us, that is God, to rely upon His provision to overcome this enemy. He, he defeated Him at the cross. The Bible said He made a show of Him openly, spoiling Him, that is, principalities and powers and the devil, in that death and resurrection. But we're still in a mop-up situation, church. you got to know that. Let me give you a real story about the enemy. And, and just to, so that's a true story. My, my grandfather's brother, my uncle, okay? Great uncle. He fought in World War II in the Pacific. And he was just in his 20s, early young man. And uh, the, the bomb uh, at Nagasaki had been dropped. And subsequently the war ended. MacArthur signed the uh, armistice with the Japanese. And several weeks had gone by. The war was over. And my uncle was flying in a, I believe it was a cargo plane, over one of the Pacific Islands, flying low. And his plane was shot down by the Japanese. He died. They had not heard that the war was over, over this particular territory. They still thought the war was on. He flew over and was unguarded and, and he lost his life. You know, Satan knows the war is over, but he's still fighting because until he's incarcerated in the lake of fire, and him and his principalities, his minions, his fallen ones, they're going to fight and oppose God until they're actually incarcerated. The war was the war's won by Jesus. Come on now. And we can appropriate that victory as we walk with Him in union and by faith. But we're still going to have to engage Him in battles from here and there. Now if that plane had been flying higher and was on guard, that maybe would not have been shot down. But they had thought the war was over. There are many Christians today, my illustration this is the reason I'm saying that I think somehow we got everything we need, everything's good, we just live out our life, we got heaven to, to gain. And, and no, you're in a you're in a struggle. 
And it, it's a warfare. It's real. And we need to have that demeanor, that understanding that we are engaging in a combat situation. And he says that we need to be able to stand. That's kind of a militaristic term because it's connotating standing our ground, holding a position, standing what we've taken already, what God or those who have gone before us have taken. We don't want to give ground to the enemy. We want to hold that ground. You know, you have uh, in, in our own military, in the history of the United you know, some of the was it Hamburger Hill or Vietnam conflict, some of the uh, ground was taken by men at, at, at a cost of hundreds of men's lives, and yet only to give it back over to the enemy just, just days later. You know, God doesn't do that. He's not into that. He doesn't want us to do that. He, he commands us to take an area or to, to move forward with His agenda. We can go forward confidently engage the enemy, win the battle, and then we're going to stand. Somebody say amen. We're going to stand in victory and hold that ground. We're not giving it back. Now how do you give it back as you just backslide? Come on. Or you don't serve God or live for Him, then you give things back. But we're not here to give things back. We're here to serve Him, move forward, and advance the kingdom. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Somebody say amen. amen. And we need the armor, church. We need the full armor in order to do just that. He said, our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, look at verse 12, but against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's a mouthful. Now he's just laid out who your enemy is right there. Your enemy is a cosmic foe, not, not an earthly foe, who seeks to control the earth. He seeks to control what goes on here. He is a foe that is in the heavens, not of this earth, but he wants to control the earth. So we fight against these principalities and power, King James. Here it says uh, spiritual rulers and authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavens. So you're, you're to engage the enemy who is in the heavens, not on the earth. How do you do that? Well, we'll read on and we'll see. What do you mean I'm fighting against? Isn't our enemy these politicians and what? No. No, they're, they're, they are pawns controlled by these spiritual forces of wickedness. Amen. Some may, but most don't. Most, most don't. You and I once served the enemy and didn't even know it. He could just make you do anything he wanted at that do you know why you have conflict sometimes? Because you have a sin nature. And when you want to do your thing, and you, and you, or you're tempted to sin, to do what you know is not right, all of a sudden, as a believer, you're like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, listen, I'm, you start fighting, you have an internal battle inside of you. Man, I just want to, I want to holler at this person, scream at me. Is that the Lord? that sin nature that the enemy will play on that 
to get you to act on that. But see, before you were saved, you just did it. Right? I think I'll go smoke this joint over here, you know, and get high. Oh, I feel so bad about that. Did you ever feel bad about it? Did you ever feel convicted because you would? No. You just did because that's what you did. But you get saved. I think I'll go do this, uh, you know, and you're like, he's broken. Man, I don't feel so good about doing that like I used to. Huh? It's something different inside. Now, the enemy tries to keep Christians at bay by playing all that. And often he's successful, doesn't have to go any further. But let's look a little further down the road. What does he do? He controls nations, governments, institutions. Who controls the institution? I'll give you an example. Say like the educational system in the United States. Who controls that? I can tell you who controls that. It's not God. He will ultimately. Yeah. Because look at what they're doing. Look at what they implement. Transgender bathrooms. We're going to teach people sex education. The last thing I was they're teaching children 12, 13 years old how to have anal sex. Look it up. I'm not lying. That's terrible. They're teaching junior high kids how to uh, be involved in lesbian and homosexual relationships. Is that God controlling the institution? So let's just break it down. Who's controlling that aspect of our lives which, which affect the children in this country? It's a principality. It's a fallen angel whose assignment is just that, to control that institution. And they will bring in people who think that way and they'll get rid of people who don't. Okay, then you go to another institute. Some would call them demons. I say they're higher than that. They're principalities. But say they are demons, okay? They're not God, hello? And their agenda is not a good one. They use men who are caught up in sin and are in spiritual darkness to further that agenda. They're not your enemy, the men. Matter of fact, we're here to try to get them saved. Amen. We're here to witness to them that Christ can say, we're here to live a life that's upright and upstanding so that they can be ashamed of their behavior, come to faith in Christ. See a contrast like we talked about last week. Only God can save, but we're here to be His ambassadors. We're to stand apart from that sin and, and to live for Him. No matter what, whether we're a slave, whether we're a master, whether we're in any, whatever position we're in, we're to use it for the glory of God to win other people to Jesus. That's the main fu function of the church on the earth today. But these, these forces of evil, this present darkness, and friend, you just look out at our society, in our country. I'm not even going to go anywhere else. It's not my business. But you look at our culture and society, you see darkness covering this nation right now. And through the act of God, the new administration is really shedding light on that. We're seeing a lot of this being exposed as we as we see. Now, what did I say last week that probably upset some people? But I want you to hear this. I was 100% right. What happened this week? 
Now you see CNN and some of the liberal media is talking about Hillary and her selling uranium to the Russians and the corruption. That's God unmasking. Who's ultimately in control? God is. But who's controlling the earth down here now? Satan is. Principalities and powers. Now let me ask you something. What's Paul saying? He's saying that. He said, that's who we war against. That's who our spiritual warfare is against. These forces of evil. Are they your enemy? I would look at much of the church and think, no, they're not really, because they're just totally doing whatever the devil tells them to do. They're not doing it. They're not putting up any resistance at all. They're not. That's like your house is being robbed, but you don't call the police. Your your house is being robbed, but you don't even say, hey, hey, what are you doing? That's seemingly what's going on in our world today. And the church needs to wake up. We need to engage the enemy. Not just because we're in a spirit, but we need to understand we, we can engage him and defeat him. Somebody say amen. amen. And he says here, that's who our enemies against these cosmic powers of present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. We need to engage them because they are waging a war against you and I, the church. Verses 13, we see the armor. Therefore, therefore, because of that, in other words, because of this spiritual foe, we need to take up the whole armor of God so that we may be able to withstand on the evil day. What does that indicate? There's an evil day coming. And God says there is an evil day. Now, I like to look at that in a couple ways. There will be an evil day, a really bad day up ahead. But we go through many battles. Many battles, many skirmishes. And that will be your evil day. Can you look back and see where you were really going through something? And God brought you through? And then, you know, you can't celebrate too much because you know you're going to get into something just up ahead and you're going to get into another one. Amen. It won't, it won't stop until we go to heaven. Amen. I mean, that's just the fact. But we can win. And we can learn to win. You... Cannot rise. You know, a little boy. Like we got a little boy in the back, four years, three years old. Can you tell him how to fight another boy? Can you say, "Son, this is what you do. This is how you fight." Oh, you can talk all you want, right? But what does he have to do? He got to get in a fight. Or two, or three, or ten, or twenty. You know, he has to fight, and he can look up to you and respect you, and he can ask, "Hey, man, what do you do?" And this, how do you can give him advice? You can help him, but you can't fight for him. I see, a, 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 as a pastor, as a, uh, you can't tell other Christians how to fight. I can tell you, but you're gonna get in the fight. <laughs> And I'm giving you good information right here. I really am. In the Bible, we need to, as we go move along, we need to apply it so that when we do engage the enemy, or I should say he engages you, you know how to back him up. I mean, you can talk to you blue in the face. I remember when I've told the story and I won't do it again. I mean, many times when I was getting my lunch money taken, I had to get on the bus and get in a fight with that guy. I had to actually just 
Oh, punches and hit him, you know. Back him up. And that's how it is for you in the spiritual sense. You've got to, when the enemy comes on you, you need to know how to back him up. And we've got all the equipment. And all, can you imagine a soldier going out in the battlefield? He's got all these weapons and stuff, doesn't even know how to use none of them. Will they do any good for him? A guy will come along with a knife, and if he knows how to use the knife, he'll just kill him. We've got a crafty enemy. And uh, he'll, he'll lure you in, he sets you up. He's been fighting this thing for a long time. You know, how long have you been around? How long have you been around? Have you been around a couple thousand years or more? Four thousand years? No, you haven't. So whatever you've learned, it took you pretty much most of your life to learn what little bit you do know, right? Amen. You know, I was watching this program. I always see God in everything. You know, I mean, I, I, I can watch, I can see spiritual truth and no matter where we're at. And I was watching this program on Vietnam on the National Geographic channel. And they were watching these boys, they would insert these men, small units, you know, 100 men, 200 men at the most. And uh, they had inserted this one unit in uh, on the Mekong Delta, and they were on what, what was called search and destroy mission, okay? And they ended up running, they didn't know where they were at at this one particular time, exactly the location. They were looking for the enemy. They're out on the ground, walking through jungle and marshland, looking for the enemy. Engage him, kill him. Well, this 200 men ran up against 4,000 Viet Cong. And the Viet Cong had set it up to where when these men funneled into this narrow pass, and you had two, 200 men in this pass with no cover on either side, and they had machine gun, two machine gun nests in front of them opened up on them. And then on the flanker end, they had two other machine gun nests when they were caught in the crossfire. So what happens then? You, 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 you got a problem. You know, you go, go down, get low, try to survive. And uh, thankfully for the men there, they, they had air cover. They were able to call in some airstrikes to back it up. Actually, the airstrikes didn't work. They actually got a boat to come in with the the heavy gun and took out the machine gun. They couldn't take it out. They were in a bank. So the enemy will take you in your life and he'll he'll walk you into where you have no... You can't... If you're attacked here head on, you're like, well, I'll just go around the flank. That's, the, that's, that's your natural way of defending yourself is trying to get behind the enemy or get over to where you get... You can't just rush headlong into a machine gun nest, you know. But if they've got everything in you in a crossfire... And there's 4,000 of them and 200 of you. <laughs> I guess you'd be making peace with the Lord about right about then, huh? But see, God knows, and the enemy will, he, 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 you'll be going along, and the next thing you know, bam! What happened here? What's going on? How did this happen in my life? Caught you by surprise, right? But doesn't catch God by surprise. Amen. He does. He says, I want you to win. Now look what he says here. Uh, he wants us to be able to stand in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Not, not to give up any ground to the enemy. Don't give it up. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. 
Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the armor. He said, equip yourself, make this available to you. Now, we're not going to go into a study on all the pieces of the armor and then, of course, how to appropriate it. This is kind of an overview. But he's telling us what the armor is. And that with each of these pieces of God's special armor that he's provided to the believer, we will be able to successfully engage the enemy and win. You know, the scripture says that one believer will put a thousand to flight and two, ten thousand. What's 4,000, man? Come on now. What was David when he went up against the Goliath? He was, Goliath was no match for David. Why? Because David was prepared. David was ready. He was standing in God. He was an Old Testament type of the believer. And he had faith. And he went against the enemy and God gave him the victory. Hallelujah. And you know, God would give us the victory. You know, we can see our nation turn around if believers got engaged with the enemy and just held the ground. Instead, we keep giving up ground. The more you give, the more He'll take. You give Him an inch, He'll take a mile. You crack the door open, He'll come all the way in. We need to be like those men in Charlie Company. Take no prisoners. Leave nothing, take just just show no mercy. Somebody said that's pretty hardcore, isn't it? Well it is, but are you in war or are you playing a game? You know. We're in a spiritual war. This is a very real struggle. People's eternal destiny hangs in the balance as well as our own. Come on. God wants us to win. We need to put these pieces of the armor, the full armor of God on. And notice that shield of faith quenching all the arrows, flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan can come after you, man. He'll shoot those darts at you. Man, they're aimed right at you. Flaming. They're on fire. Where's them darts? Where are they aimed at? Right at your mind. You won't go down. God doesn't love you. God's given up on you. If you were really serving the Lord, you wouldn't be in this situation that you're in. If you was really a good Christian, well, I know you're sin. I know you're evil. Faith of I, I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ. Yes, I have sinned, but I repent, and I'm walking with my God. Hallelujah. And you'll quench every one of those fiery darts. Put that helmet on that protects your mind, your head. Come on. Build the truth. No, I see things as they really are. I'm not lying to myself. I see the truth. I'm going to walk in truth. We'll be ready to serve God. My feet are shod properly. Come on, I carry that gospel. You know, those Roman soldiers had uh, uh, certain shoes that they would wear that we would call sandals today. And they would have greaves over that to protect their shins and their, their legs. But often they had long spikes in those shoes. What were those spikes for, do you think? To, to hold, you could hold your ground. When you're fighting with, they used a small sword about this long, 
but it had two edges. They could go up or down, but they would use that. They'd hold that shield up. And as the enemies would engage, they would engage those forces. That, that wooden shield was full length, and it would crouch down behind that, and they would come out with that little, just jab you like that. Get it in you and move it up. They'd lock, they wouldn't break rank. You know, they wouldn't break rank. They'd stand. And they'd take ground. They'd take ground. But they had those shoes that would dig in. They would hold ground. You're not going to just move them back. Sometimes you can get an enemy and he's partial. He's still alive. You take the spikes. I've got an old 98K, 98 Mauser at home. Anybody know what that is? That's a German World War One and World War Two rifle. It's got a steel butt plate on there. You know what they use that butt plate for, right? Just finish, finish them all. So God's given us that armor. We don't want to leave. We don't want to leave nobody. We want to take the enemy and take him out, man. Take him completely out. Show no mercy, because he's not going to show any to you. He's coming for you. You know, I believe that when we are standing at that final judgment day, and God calls us forth, Scripture tells us, Know ye not that you will judge angels. Who are we fighting? Angels. It's all of them. See, they're stronger in might and power than we are today. But when we stand with this armor, God's armor, fully on, they're no match for us. When you try to engage them in your own mind and strength, you will lose. One day we will condemn these ones who have been attacking you. You will see them. They're going to grovel. That's the one who's coming after me, messing with me, that's so bad. Telling me these lies and trying to... That's the one that did this to me. You've got an eternity to spend in a lake of fire. In the meantime, we're engaged. Now notice verse 18. He doesn't get away from the subject. Verse 18 through 20 is really an offensive weapon. Most of the weapons we've looked at, other than the sword of the Spirit, obviously, which is an offensive weapon, are defensive in posture. But you know, if you're a football fan, you know a good a good offense is a better defense, right? I don't have no football fans in here to say amen, so I, a better offense is a better defense. <laughs> But here you have offensive weapons. Now, on the back of that breastplate, that the a chain mail that the Roman soldier would wear, there was a small little pocket or satchel in the back. And in the back, he would carry a long steel rod, about yay long, iron rod. We would call it in today's language a javelin. Not a long one, but about yay long. Heavy, very heavy iron javelin. Sharpened to a point. And with that javelin, he could reach back and grab it. And you could hurl that javelin and strike your enemy at a distance. 
You know, he mentions here in verse 18, prayer. And I believe prayer is that javelin. It is that weapon to strike the enemy. When he's not up on us, we can take that javelin out and we can lay it on him. He says here, pray in the Spirit. Notice, in the Spirit. At all times. Not sometimes, all times. In every, in every prayer and supplication. To the end that we keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. We're to pray for one another. And Paul says, pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to make me to make known the gospel with boldness, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. So here he was saying that they, we could pray at all times, and, and sometimes we don't even know what we're to pray for, therefore we pray in the Holy Ghost. We pray with the understanding, we pray with the unknown tongue. We pray uh, to the Lord because He knows what we have need of. And we pray against these powers of darkness that would come to hinder and stop us from serving and, and, and advancing God's agenda. And just like that javelin, we can strike the enemy at a distance. And it's a deadly weapon. The greatest weapon we have is that sword of the Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. Which is the Word of God. We can speak His Word and we see Jesus operating with these weapons while He was in the wilderness confronting Satan head on. Mark chapter 4. It is written. It is written. It is written. God's Word is the, is the power. It's the, the weapon that cannot be defeated. Amen. So we see the enemy and we see the armor. And it's all held together by prayer. Prayer is a weapon. It's an offensive weapon. He says pray for all the saints, but also Paul said pray that I can advance the gospel from which here I am in prison. Think about that. Now I want you to think just for a moment as we close and we're done. Almost. If you were Paul, now, we're not Paul, <laughs> because we already know how he would he act, because we have his record. Can you imagine? You're serving God. You're doing the will of God. You see miracles, people raised from the dead, people healed. But yet, you're, you're in, you've been beaten several times. Wherever you go preach, you get beaten. Then you get put in jail several times. Now he's in prison, not just in prison, but he's in chains. Like an animal. He's in chains. Now, usually we, we'd be like, man, I don't know what happened. I, I gave my life to Jesus on that Damascus road. I saw supernatural signs and wonders and everything. It was I'm full of the Holy Ghost and everything. Man, I'm moving not just a few gifts, but all nine of them. Glory to God. You know, how come I'm living this life and I'm having all this problem? How come I'm having all these troubles? How come I'm in jail? I don't understand. God, why don't you let me out of jail? I don't understand. The Lord will say, yeah, I'll be crying. Let me out, Jesus. How many of didn't have HBO back then? No free me. I mean, I don't know what kind of slop they gave you back then to keep you... They kept you alive just so they could torment you longer. You know what I mean? Paul didn't do any of that. Because he was yielded to God. Yielded. He said, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a bond. I'm a slave to Jesus. Do whatever you, Nobody can do anything to me because I belong to Him. That's right. 
Now, that's every Christian should have that same idea right now. Everyone. Nobody that's in, not in this building. We should all be able to say the same thing. But we don't usually do it. Oh, God. My life is this way and that way. How come I don't have... How come you don't want... Now, we look back. We got 1,900 years of history to look back on here. He might not have known exactly. I believe he had an inkling and an idea. But he might not have known what we do today. Because we're looking back on, on what's already transpired. He was going through it when he was writing. But here, here was a man so powerful for God and so faithful to witness wherever he went. He didn't care about his own life. He walked right into danger and smacked it in the face. And then Satan was, I mean, just gunning for him. Why does he gun for most Christians? Because they're not doing nothing. They leave them alone. They're, they're doing nothing. He's laughing at them. You start serving God, you're going to have some attacks. But here's the deal. You put that armor on, you're going to learn how to win and defeat the enemy. There's a great, there's a great joy in that. Because you're being used by God. Now here's this man. God had to literally slow him down put him aside in a jail and say, write, write this. If he did not do that, we wouldn't have the Bible that we do today. Did Paul know that all of his letters to these, you hear all these, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. Let's turn to Galatians. Let's turn to Colossians. They were all the names of church cities where churches were at. And he was addressing those churches. And he's addressing the whole church of, of all the ages through that those letters. Amen. One man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul. And much of it was written while he was in jail. He didn't have the time. He was too busy witnessing Virginia, casting out devils. To, to, he had God said, i got to slow him down, get him. Just chill out right here for a little bit, Paul. Write this down. So God has a reason for your dilemma or whatever you're going through, whatever you're in today. He has a reason why. Just have faith. Trust Him. Believe Him. Amen? As we close, we'll see His conclusion. We've seen Christian relationships, Christian warfare. Now, the conclusion, Paul's conclusion here of this great epistle. Verse 21. Paul says, So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. So the, the Ephesians were concerned about Paul and his where he what was going on in his life. Now he was in prison and uh, they wanted to hear word of, of uh, how he was and what was going on. He said, I'm going to send Tychicus. And Tychicus will tell you everything. He's a dear brother and a faithful servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose to let you know how we are and to, listen to this, encourage your hearts. Paul was in prison. The Ephesians were not. The man who was in prison was writing to encourage those who were free. Amen. Hello. Not the other way around. Uh, you know, I went to the hospital the other day and nobody came to visit me. You know, I was, I was in there for two days, you know. <laughs> kind of Christians are those people over there, you know. Paul 
Paul's in there going through major surgery. He's writing, it's going to be alright everybody. It's good. Everything's fine. Jesus is Lord. I'm on top of things. and Y'all just serve the Lord now. Don't, they were all backsliding and having trouble. And prop, He's in prison encouraging them. That's called I'm on another level. He's moving on a whole other level. Come on now. But you know we can be on that same level. Paul learned to put that armor on and he said, I'm not going to take it off. Glory to God. I'm going to be ready at all times. Amen. He says here, he, I want to encourage your hearts by sending Tychicus with these letters. Verse 23, Peace, Shalom is the Hebrew, be to the whole community, or that is the church, amen? Peace and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was here in prison encouraging the people of God. He was instructing them. His words finally, brethren, he got to the armor of God. He wanted them to know that they could win. And when they engaged the enemy, he let them know who the enemy was. And he let them know that Jesus is Lord. And his, God's purpose ultimately is going to be fulfilled. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now most of us have had some kind of experience or another, you know, repairing either a vacuum cleaner, a lawnmower, or a car engine, only to discover when we're finished that we left out a part. Can I get an amen or an old man? You know, now you can leave out a part. I've done that many times. Help me, Lord. But not too big a part. You know what I mean. And usually if we leave out like a, a, a little screw or something, you fellas are going to laugh with me now. Laugh with me. I noticed I didn't say at me. Come on. We get by. It's okay. You know, whatever it was we just put back doesn't need that little screw. That's right. It was just an extra one that was put in there somewhere we can't remember now. Yeah. Lady's like, yeah, that sounds like my husband. He... <coughs> but you know, when the machine is back up and running and it comes under duress, that little screw kind of means a little bit more than what we thought it did. It was kind of holding other things in place. And then we'd end up having a bigger breakdown because we left out the little screw. Now when we talk about putting on the whole armor, and I don't know, I've learned from the old me experience, Sometimes it's like not all the way on. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I got I got the helmet on. I forgot the shoes. I got the breastplate on. I don't want nobody shoot me in the heart, man. That's bad, you know. Nobody shoot me in the head. I got to protect my head and my heart. That's we 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 think the vitals that's the most important, right? <coughs> You get in the wrong situation with the wrong shoes. You could die. You could die. Now I'm telling you a little, another little my other uncle was in the Korean Korean conflict. And you heard that big march where they had to go all the way across the peninsula in the snow? And he was in the and they didn't have winter clothes. They had the wrong boots. Anybody ever hear of frostbite? Yeah. Oh yeah. What will frostbite do to you? 
Take your feet right out there. Frostbite, frostbite will kill you. So leaving off one part of the arm or another, or leaving out that little screw. So it may we may do all right for a little while, but God give us, right Dave, He give us every piece of that armor. Because there's a reason for it. And we need the whole armor. We need to have it all on. So that when we do engage in battle, in conflict, we are well protected and well capable of delivering the blow to the enemy rather than holding on for dear life. You know, we can look at the the story of Achilles. I'm sure you've heard of that. Achilles lost his life because he didn't put his shoes on. An arrow struck him at his heel. And it killed him. He had on all the protection and body armor he needed, but he left his heel unguarded, and that arrow struck him. And that's why we hear about that Achilles heel. Took him out. God offers us His whole armor, and we do need it all. As I said, we're vulnerable all over. But no part of God's armor is vulnerable. Amen. We cannot be defeated when we have it all on. It will not, of course, keep us out of battles just because you have the armor on. After all, armor is designed specifically for battles. Amen. But God's full armor will, without fail, see us safely through every conflict, church. God doesn't want His people explaining defeated lives in churches and alibis picturing defeat as normal in the Christian life. We can cut down drastically on our defeats by making intelligent, spirit-led, spirit-guided use of the offensive and defensive weapons God's given us. And He's provided. Such preparation will enable us not only to conquer in our battle with God's avowed enemies, but to be victorious in the testing situations with which the first part of our Scripture deals. That is, relations in the family and in business, and in all these things, Paul says in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We need that armor, church. The full armor of God. Let's stand this morning. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.